Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Rebecca Highwell, Recode Reporter, you recently went on a trip to upstate New York where you got to see the so-called future of American manufacturing. There's a little place far, far away called Silicon Valley. You ever hear of that? Yeah, yeah, it's kind of overrated. <laughs> I want to be the first to welcome you to Silicon Carbide Valley because this is the future. This is the future. Rebecca, what does the future look like? Right now, that future sort of looks like any other large office building. Let's take a look at this giant, towering mammoth beauty behind me. You know, gray exteriors, large glass windows. But inside this building that I went to, just outside of Utica, small city in upstate New York, there was this high-tech plant run by a company called Wolfspeed. It almost took on the aura of a mythical creature, so elusive, and many wondered if this day would ever come. Well, it has. This plant makes semiconductor chips, which you've probably heard about if you've heard about the chip shortage over the past two years. So these are tiny little computer parts that are created almost entirely by robots. But the Commerce Department reports many U.S. companies had just a five-day supply of chips on hand late last year, down from a typical 40-day supply. This opening of this factory was a super big deal. The first, largest, and only 200-millimeter silicon carbide manufacturing plant in the world. We're now two years into the shortage, and the country and the world desperately need more chips. So how does the Wolf Speed factory fit into the plan to fix the shortage? There's this broad plan with the support of the Biden administration, state governments, and politicians on both sides of the aisle to basically invest about $52 billion in the chip industry to build factories just like this factory that I saw in upstate New York. These chips are a wonder of innovation and design that power so much of our country, enable so much of our modern lives to be gone. The idea is that these factories, which each make a particular type of chip that could be used in an EV or might be used in a computer or might be used in a medical device, each of those factories will sort of help the U.S. spur kind of like a tech manufacturing renaissance and ideally help protect us from some of the supply chain issues that we've seen throughout the pandemic. We, we need to stop playing catch up after the supply chain crisis hit. We need to prevent the supply chain crisis from hitting in the first place. The United States is no longer a leader in the chip industry, even though it's actually an industry that was invented here. Fairchild brought out the first NPN Silicon Mesa double diffuse transistor, the first PNP Silicon Mesa double diffuse transistor. 
the first planar NPN transistor. And, you know, this was the foundation for Silicon Valley decades ago. You've heard of the term silicon chips. That's sort of how we got that. But there's this feeling now that the U.S. has sort of fallen behind in chip manufacturing. Not many chips, especially advanced chips, are made in the United States. Instead, Taiwan actually makes most of all the world's most advanced chips. um, And that's something that really concerns the U.S. government. Well, how did Taiwan become the leader? Or maybe another way of asking that question is how did the United States fall behind in chip making? The United States was able to originally build a pretty strong chip industry. The Department of Defense was often one of the first customers for startup companies working on chips. And they sort of provided pivotal funding for research that allowed these startups to build devices and build technology that they otherwise wouldn't have been able to afford. And that created the foundation for all the devices that have chips that we use today. The problem, though, is that Things have sort of changed over the past few decades. The U.S. government has invested less and less in the U.S. chip industry, while other foreign governments, including Japan, Taiwan, South Korea, the countries that make up the European Union, China, have started investing a lot more in their domestic chip industries. So this has created this scenario where even if a lot of the designing of chips is happening in the United States, the manufacturing of those chips is mostly taking place abroad. So today, that means only 12% of the world's chip manufacturing actually takes place in the United States, which is pretty low compared to the 37% of chip manufacturing that was done in the United States in 1990. Okay, so the United States makes a little more than 10% of the world's chips. I think you said 12%. Can you break down that number even more? Like, what kind of chips are we making? The first thing that's important to understand about this is that chips exist on a spectrum. So there are really basic chips, and then there are really, really advanced chips. So one of the problems is that right now, the U.S. buys about 30% of the world's supply of super advanced chips, but we actually don't make any of them. One company in Taiwan actually dominates this market and makes 92% of those chips. Wow. Yeah. And at the same time, on the other side of the spectrum, the United States doesn't actually make very many of the most basic chips either. So these were the chips that were in super short supply during the pandemic and are what made a lot of things really hard to find and, and drove up the price of cars. Okay. So the U.S. doesn't make any of the super advanced chips. It makes only a small number of the basic chips. But it seems like we have increasingly advanced technology needs. Like right now, the U.S. is trying to make more electric cars. So we're going to need even more chips. Is that right? Right. If the U.S. does want to keep a hold of its dominance in the auto industry, we are definitely going to need more chips. Electric vehicles tend to need about twice as many chips that gas cars do. But realistically, all the new factories that the Biden administration and the state governments are sort of funding, like this Wolfspeed factory, won't necessarily be ready in time to solve the current chip shortage that sort of came out of the pandemic. These are going to take years to build. And even when they're done, they still won't make as many chips that the United States actually uses. Okay, so the new factories aren't going to fix the chip shortage. We've got that settled. I know the process of making chips is super intricate. And I'd imagine that It's also not very easy to build all the factories and robots that run everything. Yeah, so chip making alone is a pretty delicate process. So the tiniest speck of dust or human hair can actually mess up a batch of these chips. Those are sometimes called wafers. But actually building a factory that can do that type of delicate manufacturing is even more complicated. So for one thing, they're super expensive. These factories typically cost between $1 to $20 billion, depending on the type of chip that's being made. 
They take years to green light and construct and get the right permits. Um, and then there's also the matter of like finding the right place to put one of these plants in the first place, since location really matters. What goes into picking the perfect spot for a chip factory? So for one thing, they need to be near a reliable source of a lot of electricity. You actually need to be near a large body of water, too, because a lot of water is used to clean chips and clean machinery during this process. Uh, It's also ideal if your chip factory is not particularly close to an airport or a geological fault line because these are, you know, really precise machinery and they can sort of mess with production if if something goes wrong seismically. (laughs) Um, This is all to say that uh, chip companies, given all of this expense and the time involved, aren't necessarily eager to spend billions of dollars building more factories uh, in response to a sudden change in demand. And that's partially why, you know, even during the pandemic, governments have been intervening and providing incentive to actually build more of these chip making plants. Well, even with these big government subsidies, it sounds like the United States has a steep hill to climb. We're not even close to making as many chips as we consume. The process of building a factory is long and expensive. And even if we do build a bunch, we still won't be making enough chips. So Rebecca, I have to wonder, a lot of people want this high-tech manufacturing renaissance to happen, but is it actually realistic to think that it could? The country definitely has a long road ahead. And, you know, there's no guarantee that this funding will actually work. A lot could still go wrong or fall through. At the same time, a lot of other countries are continuing to build new chip factories as well. Still... I think the government thinks that gaining this manufacturing expertise could still be critical during a future emergency, like potentially another pandemic. After all, these tiny little chips are basically ubiquitous and have become a necessity in everyday life. And there's really no indication that's going to change anytime soon. So, you know, as long as the world depends on this tech, I think countries, including the U.S., will want as much control over chips as they can get. So what you're saying here is that one new factory in the United States is better than no new chip factories? Yeah, at least at least according to the U.S.'s perspective. All right, Rebecca, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Today's episode was produced by Taylor Macon and engineered by Melissa Ponce from Hemlock Creek Productions. I'm Adam Clark Estes. Thanks for listening. Thank you.